John 17. Uh, we'll begin the narrative to the cross in chapter 18. And we'll seek to be in that as we go into the Easter season. But we're in John 17, a uh, uh, remarkable, remarkable scene in which Christ has finished uh, washing the men's feet. They've taken the Lord's Supper, the Passover. Uh, and Christ, instead of teaching them how to pray, he prays. And when he prays, he has three things specifically that he prays for. He prays for himself, primarily, Father, glorify your son. Glorify your son, number one. Two, he prays for the disciples. And specifically, he prays for two things. I'm leaving, Father, and I'm leaving them in the world that will crucify me. Do two things for them. Please protect them. Please sanctify them. And we'll be looking at that. Thirdly, he prays for those who will believe the message that these men bear, the gospel. And he prays for them. And in particular, he prays for their unity. So he winds up three things, their unity, their protection, their sanctification. Three things we all desperately need ourselves. Because we are in a world controlled by Satan with God's permission. And uh, he says in 1 John 5, 19, the world is in the lap of the devil. And he runs this world to fulfill God's purposes. So the world has no protection from the devil and his schemes. And that's why he's populating hell, hell with billions of people. He hates humanity. He hates your marriage. He hates you. He hates your kids. He hates this church. Are you aware? We are a hated people. We are hated. And a genius who is evil has set out to destroy you, me, and this church. How do you have a chance against such a brilliant opponent? Well, the world has no defense, and the believer has been given it. So Christ prays, and we want to look, first of all, how he prayed for himself. We look at verses 1 through 5. And we will pick up four things. Number one, he wants to be glorified. Two, he wants to be glorified as the giver of eternal life. Three, he wants to be glorified because he has honored and done all the Father told him to do. And fourthly, he wants to be glorified because he's weary of the humiliation of living on the earth and being hated, called the child of fornication, and tomorrow, 14 hours from this prayer, having five nails driven into his body. I want to go home. So, listen to what he says. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. 
This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Number one request, glorify me, the Son. Now, that sounds selfish. If you prayed, Father, glorify me, that would sound so self-centered. But this is the Son, and in this prayer, he's encompassing the cross tomorrow, the resurrection, and his exaltation. Of course, that hasn't happened. But he's saying, Father, I'm going to do your will, for to this night I will go from this upper room and I will walk out of Jerusalem down into a valley called the Kidron, and I'll walk through that valley and I'll go to this grove of trees where I have gotten away many times to pray and carry my sorrows there, and I will go into Gethsemane, of which John does not record. I will go there, and an agony of soul will so overcome me that I will pray and sweat will appear as great drops of blood, for I will wrestle with the pain, the shame, and the abandonment that will face me tomorrow. And he prays, take this cup from me, but if you don't want to do it, I'll drink it anyway. And this will happen the same night. But right now he's praying, Father, glorify me, honor me like I've honored you. Uh, display my glory. And if you read Philippians 2, he said he emptied himself. He gave up the external manifestation of being God. He died the death of a criminal. Then verse 9, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. God responded to his humiliation, his condescension, and his death. And what did he do? Read Acts 2, the Peter of sermon, sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Read Philippians. He starts exalting him, taking him back. And all he prays for is, would you now glorify me? I've done the work. I've lived here 33 years. There's no more to be done and will be done by tomorrow afternoon. It will be finished when I die. I will have done everything you said to do. I will have accomplished everything you want to accomplish. Now, just glorify me. Show off who I really am. Because I will go back to heaven viewed as a criminal by Pilate and by the Jews. But you know, Father, who I am. Glorify me. Then he goes on. And he, um, he tells them, please uh, glorify the one that you've authorized eternal life to come through. Look at what he says. You gave him authority over all flesh. And you've given him the authority to give eternal life. This is eternal life. They will live forever. Is that what your says? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. 
Eternal life is not duration of life. That's not the emphasis here. It's a quality of life. As I see people who live a long life, I don't envy them if dementia, Alzheimer's, various diseases incapacitate them. I don't want to just breathe. I don't just say, well, I, I lived to be 100, but the last 20 years of it, I didn't know I was here. And it can get that way as the mind goes. No, I want a quality of life. And he says the quality of eternal life is not just longevity. It's intimate knowledge of God the Father and the Son. It's knowing God. Knowing God. Now, knowledge is a strange, strange term. Uh, it's really, uh, uh, I mean, what do you mean when you say you know something? Let me give you some examples. Uh, two plus two equals? Wow, you know that. Is that knowledge? Sure it is. H2O. Is that knowledge? Yeah. Uh, let's say, does Satan have knowledge of God? Wouldn't you say he knows more about God than any of us in many ways? I mean, he was before physical creation. He was in the throne room of God. God says he's the wisest creature he ever made. So your opponent to your Christian life is an evil genius. That's why you're so easy to trip up by him. You're a dummy compared to him. And if it wasn't for God's protective shield and for his word and his hand on you, you don't have a chance. He's smarter. He knows the moves. He knows the lies. He's deceived people ten times smarter than you. He knows a lot about God. You know what? He even knows Scripture. He knows Scripture. He can quote it to Jesus in the temptation. But, and it didn't even have a King James Bible in his hand. He's quoting Psalm 69. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8. He's quoting different... Where, where'd you learn that, devil? Why, hey, I, I heard God... Uh, I watched it being written. I heard God say that. I know a lot of Scripture. Matter of fact, it says towards the end in Revelation 12, he knows his end is drawing nigh, and he ups his evil activity. Whoa, whoa, you mean Satan? He knows enough prophecy to know when it's almost over? He does. He's a lot smarter than you. So that's knowledge. He knows all these facts. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, uh, let, let's get a little bit more personal. Uh, a man knows his wife. And that means he knows the color of her hair, color of her eyes, how much she weighs. This man doesn't. <laughs> what size shoe. Now, if I knew all those things about my wife, would you say I know her? Facts. Okay, let's let's move away. That's too convicting. Um, let's uh, uh, let's hear people say, uh, "Oh, if you only knew my dog." 
What do you mean? What kind of dog? What color? No, you're, you're saying, no, 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 we got something going. We, there's an affection. There's a, uh, some kind of a bond, a relationship. I mean, uh, I gave up on dogs years ago. My children uh, moved out. I got free from cleaning up the garage, chasing the dog. Don Andrews making fun of me as I chased it in our neighborhood. Uh, stuff like this. Uh, but when you get to animal lovers, oh, that dog, you think they're in the will. They might be. <laughs> I mean, that dog, don't you dare touch, you know, old Shep. You could be dog meat yourself. And you think, well, I just see a dog. Oh, no, no, that's my best friend. That's a, okay, okay, step back. Because they've got a relationship going on, right? Now, to know God, I'll give you an example of knowing a wife. In the Old Testament, it says, uh, the servant went and got Isaac a wife, Rebekah, and he brings her back. She went into the tent, and it says, Isaac went in there, and he knew her. He never met her before, but when he said he knew her, it was talking about conjugal relationships that sealed the marriage. This, this made him for sure husband and wife under the law and, and under that patriarchal system. And so the very physical, sexual act, there was a realm and a level of knowing that was beyond facts, figures, external data. It moved into intimacy in which even in 1 Corinthians it says that to move in the realm of physical and sexual, you form a one-body union. Uh, and it says we, who are the Lord's, we've become one and connected to his spirit. We, we've entered into a knowing of him. And so what he's saying here. I will see to it that you know God intimately, and I would define it this way. Because First John was written that I wrote these things to you that you might know that you have eternal life. I'm amazed at how many people are in church that do not know they have eternal life. And many of them don't know it because they don't have it. They claim it, but they don't have it. Or there's those who say, I can never know for sure that I have it. It depends on how I die. It depends on whether I finish the race. It depends, it depends, it depends. Here he said, I am the dispenser of eternal life, and eternal life will be an intimate knowledge of the Father and the Son. And this is where I would define it. Knowing God is a deep personal relationship of affection, appreciation, and adoration. I know God deep enough that I appreciate, I adore, and uh, I embrace. It is a knowledge of relationship. It is a knowledge of intimacy. It's a knowledge of belonging, of affection. Uh, it's not outside of me. I become joined to it. It's deep, it's mysterious, it's intimate. You will come to know God, and God will come to know you. And what is shocking in the Bible is there's many people God can say of, I don't know you. 
Everybody knows Obama. Does he know you? I don't care if you voted for him or not. He still doesn't know you, honey. You're just a number. Have you donated lately? And in eternal life, you not only get to know God, but you know now that God knows you. You not only love God, you found out God loves you. You found out you came into the intimacy of the triune family, and you know God in such a way demons don't know him because you experience, you know him in a way that uh, unfallen angels don't know him. You know him in forgiveness. You know him in redemption. You know him as father. I don't know that the angels ever call God father. So Christ is the dispenser, not Mohammed, not Hindu, not any other dispenser. And this is the offense of Christianity. If I was on Larry King when he was on, and you asked me, are Muslims going to heaven? Are Jews going to heaven? Is this religion going to heaven? Is that religion going to heaven? And here's the offense. And you get different pastors up there, and they dance and dodge because they've got to be politically correct. And here is our offense. I have the exclusive monopoly on eternal life. You can't get it except through Christ. No other way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody else can give you eternal life. I've got the monopoly. God dispenses eternal life through Christ. Now, when you receive Christ, you will get to know God. Up to now, you just know facts about him. You went to Catholic schools. You know catechism. You know Westminster Creed. You know which facts, 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 facts. It's amazing how quick you can go to hell with a bunch of facts. You think the Jews didn't have facts? They'd been memorized the script. By their bar mitzvah, they'd memorized the first five books of Moses. How many verses have you memorized? No, no, no. They, they knew Bible. He said, you, you rest in the scriptures. You think in them you have eternal life. And they speak of me, but you don't know me. You know a lot of Bible, but you don't know me. I ask you, Father, glorify the one you chose to dispense eternal life. He that has the Son has eternal life. And when you get this Son, you get a knowledge of God that is deeper than books, deeper than just external knowledge, deeper than just facts. Oh, yeah, I know church talk. I've been in church all my life, and I know the buzzwords. Do you know God? Or will you hear him say, I never knew you. You, 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 uh, you were a member you could say, Lord, Lord, you cast out a few demons, jumped a few pews, and, and broke a few tambourines, but I don't know you. You just haven't ball. Do I know you? Do you know me? And he says in 1 John, let me tell you what people act like that know him. They want to do the right, 1 John 2, 29. They stop wanting to sin. 1 John 3, 6 through 9. They start loving the brethren. Oh, man, that's a biggie. Uh, you mean, I just want to go to church with them. I don't want to love them. Some things happen. Then he goes on his third request and third acknowledgement. Father, I want you to glorify me because I have glorified you for 33 years on the earth.
Look at what he says. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Wouldn't that be a great thing to put on your epitaph? Not trying to rush it, but just think. If you put this on your epitaph, I accomplished the work God wanted me to do. I glorified God how I did what he designed me to do. Um, I'm amazed at how many people are living without a purpose. They don't know why they're here. And, and I say that uh, with, there's a pain. M much of the race does not know why they exist. And so you're allured by a thousand different offers, a different agendas, do this, do that. Because as we heard Dave Beckman, when you don't know what you're here for, uh, anyone can lead you to something you don't need to be doing. Because you don't have a purpose. You don't have a purpose. And here Christ is saying, Father, Honor me like I honored you while I was on the earth. And what did I do on the earth? I did your will. I taught your word. I did the work you wanted me to do. When I go back to heaven, there'll still be blind people. There'll still be unsaved people. Uh, there'll be a thousand things left undone. The world will still be in a mess. But I will go to the cross tomorrow and I will die between two thieves, and I can look to you and say, I did everything you told me to do. It is finished. I think we who are followers of Christ deserve to at least have a purpose. Why do you exist? Uh, what is the chief end of man? Any Westminster students? Come on, what's the Westminster Catechism? The first question. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. You remember what Piper did with it? He switched the and to buy. Enjoy God. You're created to glorify God. And Piper says, by enjoying God forever. And the reason he did this is if I, uh, uh, Valentine's coming up, and I, I get the flowers, and I say, uh, here, Carolyn, and I just pull out my day timer. Got that done. <laughs> Would that affect the gift? She still got the gift. Huh? Some folks say, I'll glorify you, God, but I don't really enjoy it. God says, I don't get any glory from a people who don't enjoy me. If your Christianity is making you miserable, you've got the wrong kind. I said if Christianity you have is making you miserable, you've never, you've never met God. And I'm afraid so many people that, oh, yeah, I grew up in the church. Oh, here we go. What is it? Man, this and that rule and uh, always talking about money and, and we had to do this. Boy, I had to be the, the do, 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 do. They, right there, you know they don't know God. Because when you know God, you enjoy God. God's enjoyable to know. 
And a Christianity that makes you miserable is hard to give away. Go evangelize your neighbor. Tell them how to get misery with you. Matter of fact, let's have a drink to it. I'm miserable. I'm just a deacon. You don't, you're nothing. Let's get drunk on it. We both got the kind that makes you miserable. I'm married. Yeah. You don't say that much me. I'll say I'm married. Ooh. I'm not going to ask you. Is she beautiful? He says, she's just the way we, oh, yeah. And he says, no, no, no. I have done what you told me to do, and my purpose in life is, first of all, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's your first, and that's the, that, that must govern every, everything you do. Is your reason for living in your mind, I want to bring honor and glory to the great God and creator and savior, and I want to enjoy him to the max while I'm alive. Is that, is that, the, right, is that the right reason for living? Well, okay, then, what's your purpose? What work has he given you to do? Well, uh, I like to criticize the church. That seems to be a lot of fun. I love to have preachers for lunch. I like to pick on the saints. You don't know him. You won't keep eating garbage if you could ever get a good steak. Let me tell you something better than chewing on me is chewing on him. And he wants you to chew on him like bread from heaven and drink this water from heaven. He wants you to be feed. He said, feed on me continually. Don't devour one another. This church is full of uh, sinners, as last I checked, starting with the pastor. Only God would have this bunch. Aren't you glad? Woo, amen and evaporated. But it's true. Where would you be had the Lord not rescued you? So we're his, and he says, okay, what am I living for? I'm going to ask this. Will all believers die? And the Lord will say, well done, thou good and faithful murmurer. <laughs> well done, thou good and faithful, lazy, no good, God involved believer. <laughs> well done, because I'm just going to eulogize every saint that lands, because I'm just going to, the cross, the cross. No, 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 no. I don't go to the judgment seat of Christ for the cross. I go there to see if I did the work he told me to do. And what I didn't do that was in his will is going to be burnt like ashes. That is grace. We don't have to drag around my terrible track record for eternity. We're going to burn it up. I see men, I see women. What are you doing for God? Uh, 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 how long have you been saved? Oh, I'm, I'll get it. About, I've been saved 29 years. I'm planning to surrender someday. Well, honey, you're so old, decrepit, you couldn't do anything now. I'm going to remember my creator in the days of my youth, before the days come that I'm, uh, I'm medicated, I'm in a hospital bed. I, I think of Sandy McNeil. She's, her father's on the verge, and her father, Abraham, is a wonderful man. Been in the church for years. If he had a dollar for every meal, he fixed, and, and his wife, for a preacher to stay, old-timey Christians. You know, out of Mississippi, 
black church. Be good to the preacher. Sleep. Bunch of children. We'll make room for the preacher. We'll stay all night evangelist. Stay all, spend all of his life trying to be good to God's people. Now, what's he going to do when Abraham comes up? How much you worth, Abraham? Couldn't be worth much. Had too many children. But I sure love my wife. I sure love God. And I love being good to his people. Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in. You did what I created you to do. Has God created anything for you to do? Just pray about it. Ephesians 2.10, we were created in Christ Jesus to do nothing. To do what? Good, good works. Oh, okay. And what about Matthew 5.16, I believe it is. Let your light so shine before your wife. Oh, men. Oh, observers. That they may see your good works. They can't see what you don't do. And, and, and you don't do it for men, you do it in front of men. Motive and action. I don't live for God for men, but I do live my life in front of men. I live my life for God, but I'm before men. Let your light shine before men. And the early church, what happened? They started monasteries. They went out in the desert. Nobody could see what a Christian looked like in the desert. Absurd. When they went to the monasteries, they found they were a bunch of uh, guys that were just as sinful as people that grew up in the metropolitan area. Because wherever you put people together, they sin. Get, do your good works before men that they may glorify your Father who's in heaven. What work are you doing that men can see and they can, they don't know your motive? Is it because this is God's purpose for my life? Young people, America doesn't offer you much challenge. The challenge in America, make money, that's nice. Joe Lewis said, I don't love money, but it sure soothes my nerves. You know, it's, it's nice to have. But is that what you're living for? Your company, your whatever your interests are. Could you say with Christ at the end of your life, if you were praying 16 hours before your death, could you say, I want to thank you, Father. I've done everything I've understood you to want me to do, and I did it, and I just want to thank you. And if you wouldn't mind, I want you now to honor all that I did in your name so that I didn't live in vain. Or, or, and this happens many times, it will be a prayer full of regret. Regret, regret. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Why did I do that? What? Why didn't I get right with my son? Why didn't I get right with this person? Why, why, why am I coming to my death and I've never done business and done what God wants me to do. So he says, Father, I've honored you. I ask that you'll honor me. Finally, he prays, Father, I want to go home. 
Verse 5, he returns to glorify me. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I've been the undercover boss for 33 years. I robed my deity in such a way. You know, if you were a brother with Jesus, and he had brothers, and uh, they never looked down the hallway and saw a glow coming out of his room. Could you imagine sharing the bedroom with Jesus? They didn't hear Jesus when he spoke. Whoa, I just heard the voice of many waters. No. I just heard a Jewish man's voice. Why? He covered. He laid aside his external glory and took the form of a slave, became like a man. He, he laid aside that external glory. and man, The regal robes of a king he laid aside to come to the ghetto of this universe. He came on ghetto ministry to come down here. When you've been hanging out in heaven and you've had angels worshiping you and you've got a throne up there and they, nobody up there doubts he's God. Nobody doubts his deity up there. No spit reaches his face up there. And he lays all that aside, comes to the ghetto of our neighborhood, and he says, Father, in about 14 hours, I'm going to, be done with everything I need to do to get sinners to heaven. I just ask you, I've got a longing. I'd like to go home. I'd like to resume all that I gave up. I'd like to resume all that external glory. I want to be sitting there on the throne next to you. I want you to restore. I'm not asking for more glory. I'm asking, give me the glory I gave up. Give me back what I left. It sort of reminds me of a uh, commanding officer telling one of our troops in Afghanistan, I just saw some footage on Afghanistan, how rugged that land is, how many caves, how many mountains. Uh, how, no wonder uh, uh, Osama could be hiding out there. I mean, it's caves, crevices. Uh, it's, it is a horrendous terrain. And our boys fighting there, driving down through these canyons and these gorges and guys just shooting down. And any military man says the advantage is to be on top. Then boom, boom, boom. And our boys want to go out there. Where is the enemy? Where is the enemy? But can you imagine all of a sudden a commanding officer call you in and saying, son, get your stuff together. You're going home. You're going back to California where you grew up and you got a mom and a dad. I think of Kirby Hughes in our church and Tim Lottie Baudier who's in Iran. What it must have felt like saying you're going home. They can't shoot you back there. You won't be a target every day. And here God the Son facing the cross says, Father, I want to get back home and I won't stop short of the cross, but I miss everything I left. I miss everything I gave up. And so I say to you, there's a longing in us as Christians that we in these temporal bodies long. He said in Romans, we groan that we may put on a new body so that we could be with God forever. A Bob would love to get a new body so he could praise God forever, and he will, and you will too. 
because that same longing, we've never been to heaven, but I want to get there and enjoy everything I've heard about that place. I don't think we talk about heaven enough. I loved, uh, well, that's a, I don't know if that's a good word. I don't believe that's right. But there was something different about my daddy's people when they buried. My mother's people, many of them were unsaved. Some were saved. But my dad's people, nine brothers and sisters, one had died. So there's eight of them. When they had a funeral, and as long as my grandmother was alive, a little short German woman, about 5'2", little holiness gal that could shout at a birthday party. <laughs> you know, animated, more fire in the little finger than some of you folks got in your whole body. I mean, sure enough, say, they get to talking about heaven, and they get together, and they get to shouting, this is being a home, don't need to be in church. Just get talking about when we get over there and what's going to be like. None of you, you know what? I haven't heard any pop Christian song lately talks about heaven. Because most of you think you got it already here. But when you're poor and broke and getting old and you come from hard times, heaven sounds really good. And Jesus says, I want to go home. And guess what? We're going home. He's going to glorify us. The big issue in our life can we say, I glorified you on earth by doing the work you told me to do? Every once in a while, I get beat up in my spirit. Oh, we're not, I'm not as good a preacher as that preacher, and I wish I had a broader ministry than I Man, I, I think I know the word is good. And it's like the Lord says, boy, do what I told you to do. Do what I, but, but, but Lord, I've been here forever. He said, well, it's only because I gave my people enough grace to put up with you. <laughs> well, I, I ought to. That wouldn't be pride, would, would it? I should have a broader exposure. And God's telling me, you ought to be thankful more haven't been exposed. <laughs> I got you further than you ever dreamed. Do you ever get that way? Your, your house looks good till you visit someone that's got it twice as good? And I just was at a preacher's house recently. I, I've been sick ever since. I ought to be in that house. <laughs> he doesn't love God any more than me. What you doing with that? Lord, take it back. I want to tell him when I see him, too. I've been in a slump ever since he had me over. Ah, oh, it goes on and on and on. What does God want to do with you? He has a purpose. He has a plan. It's revealed in his word, and if your heart is yielded to him, he's going to make you know that plan. He's going to show you the path. But I think some of you, what bothers me in the church, as so many, I don't see what God's doing with you. You may be doing, you may be having a great secret life in Christian service, but I know nothing. But I'm concerned. Some people say, don't ask me what I'm doing. It's none of your business. Is that between the Lord and me? No, no, no. I'm a believer, and we have the right to pry into your life. How you doing? Uh, where are you serving? No, you don't. Oh, are you enjoying being out of the will of God? Not miserable. Well, good. Well, and don't make me feel guilty. 
I don't want to be guilty when I come to church. Well, what if you are guilty? Oh, I just don't want to know about it. Make me feel good. Well, God loves you even though you're disobeying him. God loves you even though you don't love him enough to glorify him. All he wants you to do is to do what he created you to do. Give him glory and enjoy him. And when you do that, you'll break out somewhere. Because eventually men will see that you love God and they will praise God for what you do. Is that not wonderful?